Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. All right, thank you, praise team, for preparing our hearts for worship today. And good morning to all of you. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, find Acts chapter Two, that's where we're going to be today, and let me remind you, as you've already heard uh, during the announcement time, we will be voting next week on a uh, full-time combination person that can do contemporary worship and our youth ministry, and we uh, asked you to pray about this and the new direction that God is leading us for based on the standard given to us in Proverbs 16, 9, that says that we make our plans but God determines our steps, right? We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And so that's what we have been asked to pray for, is that God would do just that, and that is to direct our steps. We also talked about our Williams Building Fund renovation. We've got the brochures out now. The only thing I forgot to do last week is I forgot to tell you where they're located, all right? We have some over here at our hub rack. We have them on the hub table in the foyer. We also have them on the hub table in the fellowship hall along with envelopes that you can uh, um, use to designate that offering for that purpose. And the brochure tells you kind of how you can do all of that kind of stuff and explains all that. So if you didn't get one last week or today, be sure to grab one on the way out because it's exciting. It's going to be really exciting the next few weeks and months to see how God moves uh, for us to get back in our children's building and in the area of our new staff person. Well, we kicked off last week with a brand new series called Unstoppable, right? We talked about being an unstoppable witness. And we talked about those who had been with Jesus for 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. And they were so excited about being with Jesus, they just could not shut up talking about him everywhere they went, right? They talked about this unstoppable good news about how that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he had gone up to heaven to be with the Father, and that he was making intercession on behalf of all of us here on earth now, that he was preparing a place in heaven for everyone who believed in him on this earth now, and that one day he was going to return and take all those who believed to heaven with him. And then he commanded them to go and to be an unstoppable witness to all of those things. And so that was last week's message. If you missed it, it's online. You can get the podcast. You can watch it live, or not live, but you can watch it recorded there on Facebook. If you need to catch up, do that. Today, we're going to be talking about the unstoppable gospel. The unstoppable gospel. That is, what are we witnesses to, right? You know, it seems like it just started. But we are already have four college football Saturdays under our belt, Right? And there is an average of 15 million viewers every Saturday watching these games, not counting the hundreds of thousands that are in actual attendance. You know what's crazy about all that is we spend huge chunks of time and money on college football, right? The, the huge amount of time watching it, or if you actually attend the game, it's going to cost you a chunk to go, right? And, and here's the crazier part about all that. Even though we spend all this time with it, I doubt there's many here, if any, who could tell me who won the national championship in college football five years ago. Now, you could probably take an educated guess and get it, all right? But you probably couldn't tell me for sure. And I guarantee you there's not anybody here who could tell me the actual score of that game just five years ago without Googling it. Some of you are doing that right now. Yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you right now. I, 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 mm -hmm. Anyway, 
But you know what? Something happened 2,000 years ago that we're still talking about today. And we have not forgot about that victory. We sure haven't forgot about the stats of that day because Jesus is still alive. And it's the day that the gospel became unstoppable. Look at it with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, if you're fairly new to the Bible, you might be unfamiliar with this word Pentecost, but there were certain festivals that, that the Jews would celebrate, and one of those annual feasts that the Jews celebrated was called Passover. It was the biggest one, okay? And it was where they would remember when they had been set free from bondage out of Egypt, right? And they would celebrate that. Well, 50 days after Passover, they would celebrate this feast called Passover. And it was a celebration of where God had come to Mount Sinai and had descended and given the law to Moses, all right? And they would celebrate that together. And then Exodus 19, when God descended on Mount Sinai to give Moses that law, it says that there was a huge storm, thunderstorm, lightning, thunder everywhere, and that God descended on Mount Sinai in fire. And so the mountain, it says, was filled with smoke and that the mountain actually physically shook. And all of that was to say, this is the mighty, awesome presence of God here in this place. Moses, I am here with you. And so if you were a Jew back in Acts chapter 2 and you were in that room when that sound of a windstorm came and you saw this what looked to be like fire coming down on the top of people's heads and stuff, it would take you back to Exodus 19 and you would suddenly realize that you too now were in the very presence of God at that very moment, right? God's presence is here and he's here right now. But this time he didn't settle on a place, but he settled on every single person. Look at verse 5. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And so you've got all these Jews and they've settled in Jerusalem, but they weren't all born there. They had come from all over the place and they were now living there together. And it's important to have that little bit of knowledge because these Jews who are all currently living in Jerusalem, they weren't all born there in Palestine. So they all weren't raised with the native language of that particular area, which was Hebrew, right? And so the Bible goes on to say that in Acts chapter 2, there were at least 16 different groups of Jews living in Jerusalem. So I can deduct from that, and you can too, that there were at least 16 different languages being spoken. And so another miracle of God at that moment, they were given the ability to hear what was being said in their own native language. And I've always thought about that passage when I was over in Russia and I needed an interpreter to go with me everywhere I went. And I couldn't hardly say breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or, or minyasavut Nikolai. You know, uh, my name is Nikki, and uh, it's Nikolai over there. But anyway, I had to have an interpreter. It'd be nice if everybody could have just understood what I was saying in my best Southern English, right? I mean, I was speaking Southern Russian when I was trying. <laughs> they couldn't understand that either. Verse 7, they were completely amazed. How can this be, 
they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, you know every culture has a way of saying that someone's not too bright without being offensive or kind of blunt, right? And here in America, we have sayings like, you know, her elevator goes all the way to the top, but her light just doesn't come on, right? Or he's a few bricks shy of a load, and I could go on with many of those things, right? Well, in that day, if you wanted to insult someone's intelligence or you wanted to speak to them in a demeaning way, you just call them a Galilean, all right? Because the Galileans, they, everybody knew they were the most untrained, the most uneducated, and the most unequipped group of people in the whole region, right? And that's why everyone standing around was so amazed. How can it be that these Galilean, these untrained people, can now all of a sudden speak all of these native languages? And somebody popped up and said, well, there's only one explanation for it. They're all drunk, right? No, 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 no. It's too early in the morning for that. And they were under the influence, but it wasn't alcohol. It was the influence of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't what had gotten into them. It was who had gotten into them, and it was the person of the Holy Spirit. So now you have the least expected group of all the people on earth that was picked to launch a global mission. And now they have become the most empowered group to do so. And this is where I kind of clash with my more charismatic group of friends, if you will. Because what I notice in this passage is not them going around talking about their new ability to speak a new language. That wasn't what they went around bragging about to everybody. Their focus was not on the gift, it was on the giver, if you will read it. And so verse 11 is huge when you come to a biblical understanding of this passage that is so misunderstood with so many different denominations. Look at the last part of verse 11. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, and what were they hearing? Well, they were hearing about the wonderful things God has done. Not the wonderful things my church is doing, not the wonderful things that I'm doing, not, you know, all this special ability I've got. So God just, he, he put within these early Christians this special ability to share the gospel. And I think there's at least three things that we can take away from this because we also have been given this unstoppable gospel to do the same thing with, and that's to take it to other people. The first thing you need to realize is you embody the very presence of God. You, sitting there right now, you embody the presence of God. You watching online, listening to the podcast, you embody the presence of God. And this is where we need to understand the Holy Spirit a little bit better, right? You see, the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit was because Jesus in the flesh, on this earth, being in the flesh, he could only be in one place at one time. But when the Spirit was given, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit could be in all people at all times. And the Holy Spirit came to embody every believer and is in every believer at all times. And so it might enlighten some of you today to understand that you don't have to pray for something. You don't have to ask God for something that you already have. If you're taking notes, the moment you receive, or the moment you believe, you received. The moment you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. It's not just for the frozen chosen, folks. 
All right? You need to understand that. Look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus tell his disciples about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit? He said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. I want you to wait. I'm going to send it. You don't have to ask for it. I'm bringing it. Just go back and wait. He didn't tell them to go back to some prayer conference, right? He didn't tell them to, to go back to some prayer retreat and get all up and prayer about it. He didn't even tell them to go in their own prayer closet and try to pray it up. He said, just go back and wait. I'm coming. And so why do you think God sent the Holy Spirit when he did and where he did? He sent the Holy Spirit in the busiest place where all the hustle and bustle was of this city. He sent it in the most public place possible and in the most prominent way possible because the Bible says that it was for everyone. And everyone who heard all the commotion and heard this loud noise, they came running to see what was going on. And God did it that way because God wanted the gift of the Holy Spirit to be known to all people. It never was meant to be a private gift to just a few people that think they are spiritual elitists. That's not the case at all. God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit is in every single believer that's sitting in this room and listening online today. But you know what? Just because you have the Holy Spirit in you doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit working through you, right? That's why 1 Thessalonians says, don't quench the Holy Spirit, but yield yourself daily to the working and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. You got the Holy Spirit in you, but you might be quenching it. You might be sitting on it. You might be squashing it down. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. But it brings me to my second point. Not only do we embody the presence of God, but we embody the power of God. See, the Holy Spirit's in you, but you have to release Him to do His work. And that's why every time in Acts, when you see the Spirit of God show up, people start talking about God. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Every time there is a filling of the Holy Spirit, there is a telling of the gospel. People who are filled with the Spirit, they talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to us for the purpose of talking to other people. So as a believer who does have Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you, you have been given the power to proclaim the gospel and to share the good news with other people. You've got it. You say, that scares me to death. I'm so afraid that I won't know what to say. And I'm so afraid that I will maybe say the wrong thing. It's scary to think about being a witness for Jesus and sharing the gospel with a lost person. But do you, do you listen to yourself in, in the reasoning, in, in that kind of thinking? It all goes back to your power, what you can do, what you might can remember to say or not say or whatever. It all comes back to, to you. And that's exactly why you have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. The Holy Spirit will empower you with what not to say. And He will direct you with all of your words. And you will say all of the right things. Look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit comes so that the gospel can go. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. How many times did Jesus warn 
his disciples and followers that, hey, if you take up the gospel and you go spreading it, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be talked to, you're going to be judged, you might even be put in prison, you're going to be questioned. But, you know, every time he tell them, he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And at that point, every time Jesus would say this, he said, you know, my spirit will give my people my words for my moment. And I'll do it every single time. And so Peter was reminding these early Christians, and he's reminding us today of God's plan for spreading the gospel. He said it's going to be for all ages, everyone. Don't you just love it how that children can be so true with what they say sometimes? I mean, they just kind of blurt it out what the truth is. Well, I had one of our church children uh, bless my heart not long ago. They come up and say, Pastor Nikki? I said, yeah, sweetheart. Your hair sure does look funny. And truth is, my hair probably did look funny, right? And so we call it the gospel truth that children tell. And I've seen children tell the gospel truth to their friends, to their family members, to their teachers. I've seen children lead lost people to Jesus with the unstoppable gospel. And teenagers, if you're a teenager here, you walk on to the greatest mission field in the entire world every single day you walk on to your middle school or high school or your college campus. And you have been given the power to tell the gospel story to all of those around you. And you should. And adults, let's not leave us out. When's the last time you talked to anyone about Jesus? The unstoppable gospel is for all ages to tell. And then I'm sure in this male-dominated culture that they lived in that quite a few of these people new to this Christian thing were pretty shocked when Peter says, hey, it's not just for the sons, it's also for the daughters. And having two daughters, I appreciate that. It's not just for the men, but it's for the women alike. You see, the gospel is to be told by all people to all people. And that means you today, you've been given the power, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your age is, to do it. And so the Holy Spirit has come to you to empower you to not just walk a walk, but to talk a talk. Now look, your walk should match your talk. If it doesn't, it's going to ruin your talk. So your walk needs to match up a little bit. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know what? I'm just going to let my walk do the talking. I'm just going to let people watch me and my actions, and that's going to be my witness to the world. That sounds pretty good. And again, your walk should match your talk, or you're not going to be saying much. But listen, your walk along ain't enough. And you know why? Because sooner or later, you're going to trip. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall in your walk, and you're not going to point people to Jesus. You're going to point them to sin and something else. Because we're all fallible, right? None of us are perfect. So our walk is just not going to be enough. Something, though, that will not fail is the Word of God. That's why you got to talk it. you got to talk up Jesus. you got to tell people verbally about Jesus. And so after telling the crowd what they wanted to hear, that is, they all came around and said, what's going on? He told them what they needed to hear. And he preaches the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. That is, you were around, you've seen it. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. 
But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. As everybody knows, every good sermon's got three good points, and Peter's did. His first point was this. Death has been defeated. Greatest fear men and women have today is not living, it's dying. And death has been defeated. The gospel news is a great event that God, it didn't take God by surprise. God knew all about it. It was his plan A from all along. He says, you know, don't be worried about this prearranged plan that I've got, and I foreknew that, that Jesus was going to be killed, because I knew when he was going to be killed, I was going to raise him from the dead. Nothing to worry about here. I knew all about it. So I want us to dive in deep here for just a second, okay? And I'm not going to pretend that I understand all I know about this, okay? But I believe that Peter, in his message here, he implied a very important second point right here, and that is God does not plan evil, all right? But God does use evil in his plan. Like I say, I don't understand all I know about that, but I believe it. God never makes men choose evil, but God's plan is never interrupted when they do choose evil. And sometimes God will use their plan and their choice to accomplish His plan. And if you read through the Bible, you'll see that. And to show this, David says, uh, or in verses 29 through 36, Peter quotes David's words from Psalm 16, where he talks about the body not being abandoned in the grave and the, and the body not decaying. And Peter says, hey, David's not talking about his own death here. David's dead. He, his, he's buried right here in Jerusalem. We can go over there and see his body now if you want to. No, David was talking about Jesus. Jesus' body would not decay because it was God's plan from the very beginning that he would defeat death. And so this was being preached in the very city where they killed and buried Jesus, Right? Christianity wasn't birthed some 2,000 miles away from where Jesus did his work. It was birthed right in the very city where it would have been the easiest place in the world to produce the courts of Jesus, to prove that Peter was lying about everything that he was saying, but they couldn't because the tomb was empty. And so Peter's third point was this. They could not discredit what God had accredited. They couldn't discredit what God had credited. And see, that's the gospel that you are sharing. People cannot discredit the truth of the gospel message that Jesus has defeated death. They can't do it. They can't do it. You have an unstoppable gospel that you can share with people around you. And it's still true today that it cannot be discredited. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you realize that there are certain churches that claim to be Christian churches today that they will actually teach that you don't have to believe in the resurrection? Matter of fact, they will teach you that the resurrection was an impossibility. You don't even have to believe in it. As long as you can believe that God can take something old and make it new, everything will be all right. Well, there is a Greek word for that, and it's called bologna. Okay? Now, here in the South, we just say baloney. All right? Because that's what that theology is. It's just a bunch of baloney. Because here, here's the deal. The resurrection is mentioned 104 times in the New Testament. And Christianity without the resurrection, it isn't just missing the last chapter. It's missing the whole story, right? 
So if you're taking notes, if that tomb is not empty, Christianity is. But it was on this day that ordinary people like you and I, we were given the power to share this unstoppable gospel with a lost world because we know that the grave is unoccupied. And so the followers of that day who were following Jesus Christ and what they believed to be true and that the grave was empty, they became known as Christians. And to this day, they have been unstoppable when it comes to sharing and spreading the Gospels. Now, Christians, they have been threatened. Christians have been imprisoned. Christians have been tortured and even martyred, but they have never been stopped. Because Jesus has defeated death, folks. Later, Paul would say in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Did you hear that? Some of you sitting here today, you're ashamed to talk about Jesus. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, and some he gives more to others, apparently. But with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. It's not going to be easy. It's tough when you're a teenager standing up in front of all your friends taking a stand for Jesus when everybody else is going the wrong way. I love that poster upstairs where it's got all the fish going one direction and got the ichthus fish going by itself. Because sometimes that's what you have to do. Adults as well. Sometimes we'll have to take a stand by ourselves. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time to show us His grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And that brings me to my third and final point today. Not only do you embody the presence and the power of God, but you embody the promise of God. So let's just, for a minute, jump back to football, okay? Because that's what I can wrap my head around pretty easily and most everybody here can, and it just kind of brings it all together. And if you don't like football, you can make whatever comparison you want to, but I do want you to know we have counseling available for you after this service. All right? The only thing worse in life than that little ticker line that comes across the bottom of the TV screen that gives you constant scores and updates to ruin what you're going to watch in just a little while for yourself from the beginning. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's happening. Well, I want you to know. One time I put tape across the bottom of my TV screen. I think it was during the Wimbledon. I wanted to watch the match coming up. I didn't want to know who won. It takes all the fun out of watching, right? And by the way, I emailed ESPN about that little ticker thing. You, you still see it, right? But the only thing worse is that is when you have to work, and I know some people do have to work, some of you that uh, do hospitals and you know, nursing and all those important things and sheriffing and policing and all that kind of stuff. You know, Sometimes you have to work during the big games, right? We appreciate that. And then some of us have to miss because of events, you know, like weddings. By the way, parents, teach your children better. You don't plan weddings in the South on Saturday. What is wrong with you people? All right? But the only thing worse than that is you not being able to watch the game live before someone comes up and blesses your heart 
by telling you to score the game before you can get home and watch it. Right? But the good news is, when they tell you, your team won. All right? Now, do you think that changes how you watch the game when you do get home and start watching it? So you sit down watching it. First quarter, your Heisman winning quarterback throws a pick six for the other team to score a touchdown. Do you throw your pom-poms up in the air in disgust? Probably not. Now, at our house, we probably would. Second quarter, fumble. Fumble the ball. Turn it over to the other team. They take it down, they score another touchdown. What do you do? You start screaming at the TV and go in there and change your jersey for good luck? Probably not. Third quarter, your five-star receiver that you are buying his books, paying for his meal plan. You hit him right in the hands with the football, right in front of his face mask, in the end zone. Yeah, he drops it. Y'all got him too, don't you? Do you call your pastor for prayer? You see, folks, knowing the outcome changes everything. When it comes to how you handle the trials of life, the setbacks of life, all the adversity of life, when you know that your team that you're on cannot lose. It changes everything. And just like today, a bunch of people probably thought these early Christians were fanatics because you want, they could not be stopped. They just kept telling the good news. Acts 2, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. God promised it. He's come through with it. And so when you hear that you are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today, that really is true because you embody the presence of God in your body right now. You embody the power of God in you right now, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and you embody the promise of God to take the unstoppable gospel to the lost world, folks. And all of those present that day when this happened that were unbelievers, it says that when they heard it for the first time that they were cut to the heart, and they said, Peter, what should we do? And so I'll close with these final words from Peter's sermon, verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. That day, about 3,000 in all. Now that's what you call church growth right there. You know what, folks? God's plan is still working today, and it's unstoppable. You Talk about the gospel. People get convicted by the Holy Spirit that what they're hearing, they need to act on. 
And then people repent of their sins. And they ask the person of the Holy Spirit to come into their heart and their life and to save them. And he does. And then he empowers them to go out and to continue to spread that gospel to other people around them as well. And so God's plan continues on and on. And it has so for all of these thousands of years because it is an unstoppable gospel. But we have to talk about it. And so that's our prayer today. You have been empowered to keep sharing the unstoppable gospel of Jesus. May we go and do it. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. First of all, let me just ask if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You've never come to that place where you've heard the gospel that Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again to live for you in order that he can prepare a place in heaven for you. If you'd simply believe, you could be saved today. Would you do that if you've never done that before? Would you ask Jesus to save you even now? And then as you leave today, I'll be standing nearby the exit. You share that with me on the way out. I'd love for you to share that with me. I'd love to share with you a little bit more about what Jesus can do and what next steps you need to take once you ask Jesus into your heart. For the rest of us that have Jesus and know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, maybe we just haven't been talking him up enough. Maybe it's been out of fear. Maybe it's been for other reasons. But today, we've all been encouraged to realize the gospel tells its own story and it is unstoppable. All we have to do is talk about it. So would that be your prayer today? To make more of an effort this week to talk about Jesus. Father, that is our prayer today. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Not God's people together said, Amen and Amen. Next week, excited man I tell you I get more excited every week we're going to be talking about the unstoppable church the unstoppable church man I'm glad y'all are here today I hope you've been blessed more than that I hope you've been encouraged and empowered by the spirit to share the unstoppable gospel let's all stand together as we sing and worship the Lord as we get ready to go out and be a life changing church God's called us to be we hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.